The title of this sermon is Covetousness. When is it enough? I think we sang a song this morning that talked about he is enough. Our text, Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. That's printed for you in the New King James. Also at the bottom, you find the outline of the sermon, which will provide it for you for your easy reference. Amen? You know, one thing that I always do, that's to look to Psalm 1914. And I always ask you to join me in praying that because it is so critical for me to take my words, but his thoughts. And I have to make sure that, I, that he anoints my words because they have to be an accurate reflection of his thoughts. That's the burden that pastors have. There's no liberties here. I can't tell you what I think. This is what God thinks. So, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, many here, except the super, super young ones, are familiar with that old television hit show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Well, USA Today then indicated everybody Everyone wants a shot to be a millionaire. I don't believe that's changed. See, my motivation for this sermon is the fact that it's Christmas, and with the season and the emphasis really turning on material goods. And then we just had the $2 billion lottery. The odds were $300 million to one. And yet... There was a mad scramble for tickets. A display of greed and covetousness raged throughout the country. Now, covetousness is not something that you hear about every day. It's not an often discussed sin. But I'll tell you that Christians are not immune from it. You know, I wonder how many here purchased a lottery ticket. No hands, please. I know I didn't. But I can tell you, in my lifetime, I have purchased more than my share of lottery tickets. As you can see, I'm a millionaire. (laughs) Well, it may not be wrong to want to be a millionaire, but it can be very dangerous. You know how amazing many things have warning labels today? I've read warning labels that have alerted me to defective car seats, to inhaling fumes at a gas station, to opening hot radiators to smoking cigarettes, to drinking diet, soft drinks, and wearing seatbelts. But when is the last time you saw a warning label on a $100 bill? Or on a stock certificate or a bank deposit? How about imprinted on your credit card? Well, sometimes I think there should be because there is really is a danger in money and material possessions. You know, I know people don't like to hear preaching about money. But if I preached as much on money as is in the Bible, I would be preaching on it at least every other sermon. Now, most of you, many of you realize that I love to preach on parables, but you may not realize that out of the the 38 parables that the Lord presents, 16 of them deal with man's relationship to money and material things. 
Well, we're going to study a parable this morning about a man that God calls a fool. We've heard, I'm sure, it has been said that a fool and his money are soon parted. But this is a parable about a man who was a fool, not because he parted with his money, but because he would not part with his money. This man was a fool not because he had money, but because money had him. The man eventually died, and with him went the cancer of covetousness. You know, we learn about this man who truly, for which truly the world was not enough. There are some tremendous valuable lessons that we can learn from this man in this parable that's going to help us rightly relate to money and is going to make sure that money is rightly related to us. So, in your outline first, be sensitive to what you want. Our text, verse 15, states, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Two words. Heed and beware. You know, literally translated, these two words mean watch out and be on guard. In other words, Jesus is telling us up front that we had better put our heart in under maximum alert when it comes to covetousness. In the Greek, the word covetousness is a very interesting word. It literally means a thirst for having more. And it refers to an attitude of wanting whatever you see and wanting more of it when you get it. But there is something particularly different about covetousness that makes it a a truly dangerous sin. First of all, it is a sin that nobody notices. You can commit this sin 24 hours a day and nobody would ever know it but you and God. I could be coveting something right now and you would never know it. The lady sitting next to you could be coveting the dress that you're wearing. The man who's sitting next to you could be coveting your, your Rolex watch and you would never know it. So not only do others not notice it, we don't even notice it ourselves. See, there is one sin that doesn't really seem to bother any of us, and it is the sin of covetousness. Francis Xavier, he was a leader in the Roman Catholic Church many years ago, and he was a priest who had heard many, many thousands of confessions. And he said one day, I have listened to thousands of confessions, and I have yet to hear one person confess the sin of covetousness. I know I never did, yet I looked at everything that I didn't have with envy. It just didn't strike me as bad. Well, this is a parable that the man of Jesus tells about who was covetous. But he was also a rich man. He wanted more than he already had. Let me, let me ask you a question. Who has a greater contentment? A man with seven children or a man with seven million dollars? Well, the answer is the man with seven children. Because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> but I want you to understand... You don't have to be poor to be covetous. You know, some of the richest people on earth have this disease of covetousness flowing through their veins. Many people in the world are eaten up with the cancer of covetousness. It has to be the easiest sin in the Bible to commit. See, the problem with covetousness is it reveals a misunderstanding of what real life is all about. 
That's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 15b, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And the point that Jesus is trying to make was simply this. Your worth is never determined by your wealth. Life is more than bank accounts, stocks, bonds, and estate, real estate. In case you're wondering what life really is, I want you to listen to these verses. I want you to listen to the sequence provided in these verses. First, John 10.10. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Second, John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And lastly, 1 John 5.12, he who has the Son has life. I've come that you might have life more abundantly. I am the life. He who has the Son has the life. That's what they say. You see, according to God's word, life is not found in possessions. Life is found in one person, and his name is Jesus. And that is why you must be sensitive to what you want. Second in your outline, consider to be satisfied with what you have. Now Jesus tells a parable about a rich fool. He was a man who was foolishly rich, but he was also rich foolishly. Our text verse 16 states, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. I've got to caution you that this farmer was not a fool because he was rich. He was not a fool because he was prosperous and successful. You know, the Bible nowhere condemns well-earned, well-deserved financial prosperity. This man earned what he got. You can assume that he was honest, hardworking, paid his taxes, good businessman. That was not the problem. So why was this man a fool? First of all, He misunderstood where his wealth had come from, which is why he misused it, why he he, he didn't use the wealth that God had given him properly. If you had asked him where his wealth came from, he would have said, I worked hard, I earned it. After all, hadn't he plowed the fields? He he, He planted the grain, he attended the soil, and he had gathered the harvest. But that's not the way Jesus viewed it. You notice Jesus did not say, a certain man worked very hard and accumulated great fortune. No. He said, verse 16, the ground, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. In other words, it was God and his creation that had given him his harvest. Therefore, it was God that had given him his money. The problem was that, not that he had money, the problem was that he worshipped his money. And he replaced an eternal God with a material God. Of course, to put it another way, the problem was not that this money, this man had money, the problem was that he loved money. Now look at verse 16. It reads, And he thought within himself, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now, first of all, this man was talking to the wrong person when he thought within himself. 
He never spoke to God about anything. All he cared about was how he could support his addiction to this habit-forming narcotic called materialism. In verses 17 to 19, you will notice 11 times he uses the first personal pronoun referring to himself. Listen. Verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? Verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all of my crops and my goods. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Not once do you hear about others. Not once do you hear a word about God. It is all I, I, my, my. This man could not see the God who gave him all of his wealth. He could not see the poor that needed some of his wealth. See, greed had pulled the the shades of selfishness over his eyes and had coated his heart in a concrete of covetousness. So he did the only thing that he knew to do. Again, verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will build, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all of my crops and my goods. Again, verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So when you looked at this man's life, you saw that it revolved around barns and buildings and budgets and bank accounts. He was caught in the maze of materialism. The problem was this man thought his security was in his money. He wanted to hold on to everything so he could guarantee his future. In the book of Job, chapter 31, verses 24 and 28, Job made this observation. He said, If I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment, for I have denied God who is above. That is exactly why God calls this man a fool. But then listen, verse 20. But God said to him, You fool! This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Here was a man who thought he had many years to live, but he didn't have another day. You know, this man had probably kept many appointments that day, but he was unprepared for the most important appointment that every man has to keep. And that is Hebrews 9.27, which states, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Can't you just see this man? He has settled down for the night. He's anticipating tomorrow, but it was not to be. That very night, death will say to him, your soul is required of you. That term, required, is really an interesting term. It is a commercial term. It is a banking term. It literally means to call in a loan. You do realize, I hope, that your life is on loan. 
It is on loan from God, and God can call that loan in any time he chooses. You know, you notice that God did not ask for his silver. God did not ask for his God did not ask for his stocks or his bonds or his real estate. God asked for his soul. And one of these days, the bony finger hand of God, death, is going to knock on the door of your heart. And he's going to collect the soul that belongs to God. And when he knocks on your door, it's not, he's not going to ask for your wallet. He's not going to ask for your silver, your checkbook, your deeds, your bonds, nothing. He's going to ask for you. You see, the great tragedy was not what was left behind, but what lay before that man. You know, this man worked all of his life for everything he had and died without anything. You've heard this before. Somebody has said, money talks. It does. It says, goodbye. On his tombstone could have been written the words that are actually found in a tombstone over in England of a rich man who died and left nothing behind but his money. And it reads, Here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now, where he is or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. And third in your outline, be serious about where you are going. Now, who did Jesus tell this story for? Verse 21 reads, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, listen to me very carefully. Every one of us is doing one of two things. We are either laying up treasure for ourselves, and when it comes to God, we are going to die dirt poor. Or we are literally becoming rich toward God. Well, let me give you some good news. I cannot guarantee that you are going to live rich. But I can guarantee that if you will put your money in its proper perspective and in its proper place, and if you will learn that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others, you can die rich. You see, the truly rich person is the person who is rich toward God. You know what that means? It means, first of all, that God is preeminent in your life. He is first in your life and more important than anything else or anyone else. Second, it means that he is present as your Lord. He is in complete control of all that you have and all that you are. It means that he is predominant as your love. It means that you love him and him alone with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's more important than all of this world put together. And in closing... I want you to hear me carefully. We've got inside information. And that is that this world is coming to an end. We've got inside information that either when we die or Jesus returns, the currency of this world is going to be absolutely worthless. That inside information should radically affect your investment strategy. For us to accumulate 
vast earthly treasures and never ever be generous toward God in this work in the face of the inevitable future that we know is coming, that would be insane. Even if you could gain the whole world, the world would never be enough. But God is. That's why with what God gives us, let us be careful that we invest it in him and not hoard it, that we might be rich toward God. Amen? Well, service is over. We should always be in constant evaluation of our lives, especially around Christmas time, because we're so thinking about all the presents that we want to give everybody. Evaluate your allegiances, especially to this world. You know, but never conduct any evaluation of your life without a veil of prayer. Amen?